You're listening to audio from Gospel Collective Church. If you'd like to check out additional resources or learn more about us, please visit gcclex.com. As you're grabbing a seat, uh, feel free to open up uh, God's Word to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we are actually at the tail end of this book after being in it in several months. We'll actually uh, finish it in a few weeks from now, next week, focusing on hospitality, contentment, and marriage, and the week after, um, what it says about leaders as we conclude chapter 13. This morning we'll conclude chapter 12. Uh, before doing so, a couple quick things. First off, if you are new, uh, maybe it's your first time, maybe you've been here for a few weeks, but you'd like to uh, get to know our church a little bit more, uh, we'd love to get to know you and answer any questions that you may have. Uh, when you're walking in, if uh, you weren't greeted and, and asked to fill out one of these cards, I want to ask for you to fill out one of these cards. Um, all you have to do is just put maybe your name and number and just sharing uh, how, uh, if you're uh, kind of first visit. And uh, there are some things in the back that you can fill out. You don't have to. Uh, we'd just love to contact you and see if you'd be interested in coffee, lunch, um, just, uh, again, get to know you a little bit more and answer any questions that you may have. We do also use these for uh, prayer requests as well, whether it be certain burdens, certain praises. Our church staff gets together each week and prays for each and every one of these, and so we'd love to do that for you. But then also when it comes to potential next steps, you may have a specific interest or want information about something, and again, you can just be able to uh, uh, check off the box, and we'd love to follow up accordingly. Uh, the other thing, and you can drop this off uh, in the offering boxes to the left of the exits. Other thing I just wanted to briefly mention, uh, we were really, really excited this upcoming Saturday is the block party. Uh, this is going to be our, our third kind of annual black block party. First time we called it that, um, just so that people know we want to invite our neighbors here, but then also your neighbors, co-workers, family, friends. Uh, it's been exciting for me to hear from several parents of their kids uh, inviting people in their school as well. And so again, very excited for that. Uh, we'll have inflatables for kids and families, free food, and the free food is not the snow cones. Um, uh, I'm talking about a dinner that will be there, uh, free for everyone. Uh, students will have uh, uh, color wars as well, and uh, so it's going to be a good time of fun and fellowship, getting to know our neighbors uh, in order to obey the command, our mission to love our neighbors, and so a connection in between that. And so again, really, really hope that uh, some of you can be able to join us, invite others to that, and yes, I know some of you guys are thinking, wondering, will I miss the UK game? The UK game will be on in the background. I was told we have people coming in like extra uh, uh, to make sure and make that work so that we have the UK game there. Dads, do not abandon your wives and children for the fun watching the UK game, okay? We will call you out. All right. Anyways, um, so that's coming up this Saturday. Really excited for that. Again, Hebrews chapter 12. Um, before we read this, uh, let me remind you that there's nothing more frustrating uh, than having an incomplete view of something, uh, whether it's people, whether it's places. I'm talking about potentially like the, the bully that we are initially rightfully angry about, but we kind of forget their home life has helped shape them that way. It's an incomplete view of what that child can be going through. Or, for example, certain communities that we start to stereotype and judge but we forget it's an incomplete view as many of them had no control of whether it be loss of jobs or some of those things to make the situation the way it is. And we miss important things when we don't know or see the full picture. 
And this is especially true concerning God and his kingdom. In fact, this morning's scripture, it shows this, it reveals this. How we, like the intended audience of this letter or potential sermon, the Messianic Jews who it was written for, can have an incomplete view of God and his kingdom and it shows why we must have the right and more complete view. And so you're going to see and read with me in Hebrews chapter 12 a picture of two kingdoms in ways. He's going to explain the experience of God's people on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus and then compare it to what is given and what is a more complete view of the Lord and the kingdom we receive through Jesus Christ with Mount Zion. First, in verse 18, he gives a picture of Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus and what it was like to be before a holy God to be feared in light of our sin. Read with me verse 18 in God's word, Hebrews chapter 12. He says, the author of Hebrews says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now, church, I understand that uh, coming from last week, right after we learned as it, it concluded a warning from the story of Esau, it seems like a kind of weird transition where all of a sudden the author of Hebrews and through the Holy Spirit speaking to us it gives this time, this season, an experience in Exodus where God's people, Israel, had just left the slavery of Egypt and Pharaoh. And as they left, they were in the wilderness. And this is what is being described when God met Moses to give him the commandments, to give him the law. And if you read this, verses 18 through 21... This experience, as my youngest eight-year-old daughter would say, this is scary. That's how she would say this, okay? When something's scary, she goes, scary. That's a little bit of this picture right here. You can't even touch this mountain that Moses went on. And it's because this was the mountain, again, where Moses climbed to receive God's law. And this is how sacred and holy that law was and what was represented within it. In fact, in Exodus 19, 12, it says the Lord commanded Moses to warn the people of God, to warn Israel to not go up it or even touch the mountain as he goes up to meet God there. For they will die because God's presence consecrated the place and set it apart from what was being asked and we're, we will be revealed in the law to separate and reveal them as sinful people. He said, don't even touch this mountain that I am on and at, for you will die. And listen to this. You see verse 20 at the very end? 
If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Again, this is coming from Exodus. This is what God's word shows and reveals. It was so serious that they were commanded to stone any animal that touched the mountain. And I read this and I think about my little, cute, little, cuddly teddy. I talk about him all the time. My community group has fallen in love with him. And my curious little dog who likes to pee on anything and everything outside, not in our house. He's a good dog. But outside, he's going to pee on it. And I could just see him going up to the mountain. This little curious little teddy all of a sudden lifts his legs, does his business. And now we got to stone the poor thing. All the kids are like, parents, have fun with lunch conversations today. I, I read this. And I know it's emphasizing the seriousness of God and his holiness in the law. In fact, a few weeks ago, I watched um, Adam, Adam Sandler's latest movie, and I was reminded of this passage of Scripture. His latest movie stars his two daughters, and it's centered around their Jewish heritage. And there's a scene in this movie where the youngest middle school daughter is about to get her first kiss with her lifelong crush behind the curtain of the temple where the sacred Torah is. The Torah, which is being described as God is given, and to show the difference between a holy God and, again, sinful people. And as she is about to get a kiss from her lifelong crush, she's scared, she's hesitant. She even says to the boy, my dad would kill me right now if he knew that I was here, not because of the disobedience to him, not because of the disobedience to the school in the temple, but because the Torah was there. And I'm like picturing, you know, happy Gilmore, stereotypical angry voice yelling at her. But she shouldn't care about that in comparison, of course, to what God means and intends and says about his law and the word. It says here that there's a blazing fire and darkness that was present when God came to meet Moses on the mountain. Both scary in itself, fire, darkness, but think of it combined. And it happened whenever the Lord was present on the mountain. That mountain would be consumed by a thick smoke, earthquakes, thunder, lightning, and a great fire. Furthermore, as mentioned in verse 19, there was a loud trumpet blast. And it would only grow louder at every blow. You know how some of you guys kind of get shaken up when you watch a movie in IMAX with the Hans Zimmer score? It's like, you like watch Inception or the, you know, like that is nothing compared to this hornet, I mean hornet, horn that is continually blowing louder and louder as earthquake, fire, thunder, and lightning is present from the presence of God on this mountain. It would bring so much fear into God's people that it says here they would beg for no further messages from God there. This comes from Exodus chapter 20, 18 through 19, and recorded Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 24 through 27, where it says they begged for Moses to be the only one to speak to them in fear of God's very own presence and his voice after witnessing all of this. Knowing again how holy God is and how sinful they truly were. All in all, as you can tell, Israel 
had come to a pretty terrifying place at Mount Sinai in the wilderness. And it was meant to be this way. It was. This isn't like Old Testament God and New Testament God. And they're two different gods. It's not. Again, it was there to show us the true severity and seriousness of our sin. To reveal the great power and righteous judgment of God as he is holy and what he is giving to Moses and the law to reveal and show how we cannot measure up. To show that there is a gap in between too large, no matter how good you may feel that you are. That as verse 20 says, you cannot endure in such ways. And remember, this is coming right after the text talking about the importance of endurance and the possibility of it last week. But it says here, you or they could not endure if it is just based on their own efforts. Trying to be, trying harder, being more moral, trying to reach God or get to him on your own. We are left like Moses in verse 21, terrified and trembling with fear, especially knowing what the rest of scripture says about sin separating us from God, sending us to an eternal hell in opposition of a perfect heaven. But remember this part in the scripture that we started out with. Before describing what to many of you seems like a nightmare, yet essential and true. Remember at the very beginning of verse 18, what does it say? For you have not come to this. For you have not come to this. This is not or does not have to be your experience. We are not part of a kingdom represented in what was experienced in Mount Zion here, stuck in our sin in comparison to a holy, righteous God and king. And again, that's not saying that this is a wrong view or description of God and his kingdom. It's not, which may terrify you like them, but it's not. Instead, like I illustrated in the very beginning, it's more of an incomplete picture of God and his kingdom. And so look at verse 22 as we see the more complete picture. Because who we have in Jesus Christ and fulfilled and what he ushers in with the new covenant in the kingdom. What we have is not Mount Sinai. But instead it is Mount Zion. A kingdom of heaven and the new earth over what we read with Mount Sinai, but also this present world. Look at verse 22. But you, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It says, you do not have what was described in verses 18 through 20, 21 in the experience of Israel in the wilderness with Mount Sinai. But verse 22, you have come to this. Mount Zion. 
because of the gospel of Jesus and receiving the gospel. We don't have an experience in Mount Sinai, but we have what is described in verse 22 through 24. And in comparison to what we read about, as described, it's the city of the living God. Not dead, but living. And who wants to make things alive? Who wants to bring life out of death? To Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Remember this Messianic Jewish audience and what was represented in Jerusalem. And now the heavenly Jerusalem, which is a perfect spiritual version. Where it says, there will be an innumerable amount of angels gathering and celebrating and worshiping that we will join. Now, I will admit, I know when first reading and saying this, there are some of you, maybe like my oldest daughter, who that kind of freaks you out, okay? I remember one time preaching and uh, uh, giving an illustration, and if you take the Bible literally, which I do, and the, the, the angel that was described in Ezekiel uh, looked like this, okay? And so now, like, any time my daughter finds a meme or something, the sort of, like, angels being like that, she sends them to me, okay? And so if that's you in here, and you're like, okay, I know what angels are described, you read this, and now you're thinking this right here, okay? And you're like, I might take Mount uh, 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 Sinai instead, okay? It's not, that is one description of, of, of an angel. Doesn't mean they all look like that right there. And remember this. This is a joyful, worshipful experience. Something we should yearn to join and partake in. In fact, Peter, you can get it off that stage because they're not paying attention. They're just thinking of that right now. Okay, so back to the scripture right here. The numeral amount of angels. Listen to this. Remember how the book of Hebrews even first started out. Remember how there were certain sects of Jews that even idolized angels and the author had to share and convince them that Jesus is far superior over them. Taking them back to the rightful place which they were supposed to be. God-given glorious creatures who radiate the glory of Christ and they testify to God's saving acts in Jesus. And then we will be able to joyfully join them in that. I promise you, it is all good. One of the most famous pictures of this is from um, Dante's book, which we covered over institutes. In fact, this picture right here I gave out as uh, in a drawing. Um, I believe Chris Jones won it, and it should be hanging up in his office, as he had said. We're going to check on that, okay? But this picture right here, as you can see, an innumerable, an, an innumerable amount of angels, a myriad of angels worshiping. You see here, circling with what is pictured, the Son, also represented to be Son of God, Jesus, as well. And I don't know, again, if this is true, if all of them are going down like one of those water slide cyclones going like, Wee! all I know is it's going to be a beautiful and glorious time to join them and what they were created to do and us then finally being fulfilled in what we yearn and want to do to worship Jesus with them. And now listen, look at verse 23. You're really going to love this. I know I do. All who were adopted into God's family as spiritual firstborns, now enrolled into heaven, and it says specifically, assembling together. And that word assemble is important here 
Remember that feeling you got when watching Avengers Endgame? When the score hits and Captain America sees all the past superheroes, some that disappeared and Thanos' snap. More recent heroes, he didn't know if they survived. Fat Thanos, I mean not Fat Thanos, Fat Thor, huffing and puffing. But the first to yell when Cap yells out, Avengers assemble. Okay, now don't act like you've never seen this, okay? It is like the second highest uh, grossing movie of all time. And this is the scene that everybody talks about and everybody said they cried at. Because for a decade, you guys all followed and watched Avenger movies, right? And all of a sudden, this is like the all-time, like, everybody's together. So don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about right here. Okay, there's a reason why you go on YouTube and you research and, and uh, Google this, this video and everybody's like crying and saying greatest movie ever. And I'm like, it's a superhero movie, okay? I'm kind of wondering like, what? I just wasn't as invested in the last decade. But listen to this. As important or as, as emotional as that scene was with so many people because it's everybody together for the first time. Good defeating evil. It's fake. It's a movie. We're talking about, listen to this, what this passage is saying here. We're talking about every true and genuine Christian as described in the hall of faith that we read about a few weeks ago. To those who are in church history, to the ones that you have personally known and loved. I'm talking about your family members who had Jesus Christ, your friends, previous and current church family. Talking about Pastor Tim Parsons to C.H. Spurgeon, assembling together in worship. Your saints of parents, of spouses, and even children, all described here, assembling together in worship. How beautiful that is, especially for those who are in here. Who have missed those who have been taken too early in this life. That we will stand before our God. Who's rightfully called. And as we're reminded here. The judge of all. That's what it says here. The end of verse 23. The assembly of the firstborn. All enrolled into heaven. And before God the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous. Made perfect. This is important right here because remember what we just read about with Mount Sinai? They could not touch the mountain or be in the presence of God. Why? Because of their imperfections, because of their sin. And now here, before and worshiping with the angels, before God, who is the judge, he still is judge, living and dead, righteous and unrighteous, those who are outside of Jesus Christ. They still will see Mount Sinai, but those in Christ, look at, he made them righteous. They're perfect because Christ's righteousness replaces our unrighteousness through the cross. And now we are standing before not just judge, but our heavenly father in worship of him. Taking us to a place where there is no more sin to judge. As verse 23 ends saying, making us righteous and perfect once and for all forever as described in the book of Hebrews. And how he does that is through, of course, what is described in verse 24. Who is also there, Jesus Christ. The one who mediated between us and God. After thinking about the chasm 
in between us when reading about Mount Zion and Mount Sinai, where we couldn't even touch that mountain in Mount Sinai. We are now joyfully and abundantly worshiping with God and in his presence because of Jesus closing that gap and reconciling us to God in a new covenant through the gospel where his blood was shed for us. And as it concludes here in verse 24, it speaks a better word as it gives life in comparison to the blood of consequences that was shed with Abel. This blood gives life, it restores, it reconciles us to God, and it gives us this new kingdom, this beautiful place in the forever new heavens and earth. Oh, what a comparison. And know that this works itself out backwards. C.S. Lewis once said, Heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. That we can get taste of it while anticipating and knowing we will truly have it later. And in light of all this, look at what the remainder of the text says to conclude chapter 12. Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. That concerning Mount Sinai, verse 19, just because they were in fear and didn't want to hear from God doesn't mean that they weren't going to still face him and hear from him. And part of what he speaks is a warning to us as well. That like them, even today, we are to not to refuse to listen to the living God who still speaks to us today. In fact, will you remember as you've been here over the last few months, how often in this book, in the book of Hebrews, it was warned, it was commanded, it was said, do not harden your hearts. Do not plug your ears to what God is trying to say to you to get your attention with. And the end of verse 25 says that those who reject will not escape as he is warning us from heaven itself. Verse 26, at that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. You see, Jesus is the one here who speaks to his people in the present, shaking both the heavens and the earth with his voice. And this idea of shaking, it alludes back to the prophet Haggai. In fact, that's who he is quoting here in verse 27. Who foretold of Yahweh shaking earth and heaven and all the nations in order to fill his house with glory. And the writer of Hebrews here seems to understand a present tense fulfillment of this text in his own time. Again, going back, comparing the Exodus generation who witnessed a shaking in their own day. As they were encamped at Mount Sinai, this author now shares we must anticipate and warn us of an even greater shaking. One that is characterized as a shaking of both the earth and the heavens. And when I read that, I, I, I think what I compare that to is living in a world that we live in today. I mean, a world of 
massive unjust violence. I mean, genocides over centuries. Uh, Making it more personal when you talk to any teenager or college student who's in fear because of school shootings and senseless violence. In a world of just, again, things that are evil that's called good, things that are good that's called evil. Taking of innocent lives from, again, abortion to the worst both views and treatment of women. Countless other offenses against the most defenseless among us. A world of war, rumors of war. These things cause the world to shake because they will not endure. Whether the new heavens and the new earth, I'm sorry, where the new heavens and the new earth, where that is a kingdom that comes with a promise that it will be unshakable. An eternal kingdom given through the blood of Christ, his resurrection, defeating all things of sin, Satan, and death. And when received through grace, that we will receive a kingdom that's secure, safe, and found upon God's eternal promises. And look how it concludes. Verse 28 and verse 29. Therefore, because all of this is true, therefore, let us be grateful. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaking. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It concludes here. In spite of the fear that you read about in Mount Sinai and the glory and beauty of what is pictured in Mount Zion, let us be grateful for the unshakable kingdom. Let us still offer, as it says here, reverence and awe to God through our worship. Knowing that God is the same in both. But it's with gratitude of what we know we have in Mount Zion, a new in heaven and earth to come. And as verse 29 concludes, describing God as a consuming fire, which again draws on the language of Moses when meeting God on Mount Sinai. And this is mentioned here knowing that God is still both that God of both Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Both kingdoms. And that those who reject his word, they will not escape the consuming fire. But those who believe and receive his word in Jesus Christ, they will remain unshaken. And this is part of the reason why we're left with such awe and reverence. And we know, we know that the gospel is not just fire insurance but instead it is Jesus' abundant mercy saving us from such holy wrath that we deserve, but desiring for us to partake in his kingdom, to receive that out of his grace. And we should be found and left grateful that he didn't just save us, but he makes us, listen to this, co-heirs of such a beautiful kingdom. Everything I give to my beloved one and only son Jesus is now yours. An assembly of the saints that are co-heirs of this kingdom. Not just adopted into the family. We are co-heirs. We receive the inheritance. I know this day and age, inheritance is kind of like, it's not around as much as it was before. 
But if you think of what that implies, God, the owner and ruler of everything, in His good grace and sovereignty, gives you the keys to the kingdom. And we, as we partake in the Lord's Supper this morning, we are reminded that Jesus even said, as we partake and remember this, remember the kingdom to come.